The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Exploring our oneness with spirit and each other. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Main Street Vegan. I'm really happy to have you all here today. And my guest who's going to come on in about eight or nine minutes is the inimitable Carol J. Adams. Those of you who have followed Carol's career know that she is a superb eco-feminist. I wouldn't even know what that term meant if it weren't for Carol J. Adams, whose book, The Sexual Politics of Meat, awakened me to so many other things. I didn't even know that you could say sexual and politics next to each other like an adjective and a noun. But as a result of knowing Carol and her work, oh my gosh, I've learned so many things. I came upon a book way back then that was called The Politics of Women's Spirituality. I guess I figured if you could say sexual politics, you could say spiritual politics. And that book just opened me up to so many ideas. Sometimes I just like to think, oh my goodness, there is so much to no, and so little time. So that means every minute is precious, and let's just use it. So welcome to everybody who's here today, particularly new people who haven't been uh, with us on the show before. Maybe you met me in, in Marshall, Texas for that wonderful New Year, New You Festival. That just rocks my world every January. What they're doing down there in Marshall, they actually got themselves an article in the New York Times last Sunday. You can look it up. It says, Mayor Goes Vegan, or Mayor Goes Vegan and Influences Town, or something like that. And it's just the greatest story, which those of you who've been around this a while know that the the mayor of the city of 26,000 went plant-based, as did his lovely wife, and the rest is history. Um, lots and lots of people in Marshall, Texas are eating plants and sparing animals and getting healthy. And, and every every year they have this fabulous event. So if some of you are from that, welcome to Main Street Vegan Radio. So a couple of things I just want to let you know before we get started. Now, we used to say in the old days, before we get into the meat of things, what shall we say? Before we get into the tempeh of things. Things. Um, 
if you're listening on iTunes or, or some other way and you've never been to the Unity Online Radio site, I invite you to check it out. If you're vegan and you listen to this show because you're vegan and you like vegan podcasts, hooray, and that is wonderful. But you might find some of the other programs on Unity Online Radio quite fascinating. So do, do take a look and see what they're doing out there at Unity. And speaking of Unity, the wonderful sponsor of, of this program, I want to let you know about an event that is coming up at Unity Village, Missouri, which is just outside Kansas City. It's part of their new Awaken Whole Life Center, which is a holistic living, health, beauty, spirituality on every level, body, mind, spirit. And I'm going to be there in April, just before tax time, which is a great time to have a wonderful retreat. So I will be there doing a retreat about looking and feeling amazing. I think we're calling it the uh, look great, feel amazing, age later lifestyle. So if you are in that part of the world, anywhere around the Midwest or golly, anywhere where you could get a ticket to Kansas City, do go online to the Awaken Whole Life Center and just look at events and scroll on down to April and see what we're going to be doing. And if you could join us, that would just be so much fun. I've also put an event on on Facebook about that. So if you are my Facebook friend or Facebook fan, the friend is Victoria Moran and I'm almost full. Um, The business page, we used to call those fan pages. That was kind of more fun, is Victoria Moran author. And you can check out the Unity Retreat. And you can also check out the Main Street Vegan and Health Cruise. Now, that's happening 13 months from now. That means there's plenty of time to save up, and it's so cheap. I can't believe it. It might not be cheaper than staying home if you don't live in New York City, but if you live in New York City, going on the Main Street Vegan and Health Cruise is cheaper than staying home. Pretty cool. So that'll be happening in February of 2015. Dr. Michael Greger, Dr. Will Tuttle, pastry chef Fran Costigan, Jean Bauer from Farm Sanctuary will all be part of that. So do check that out. You can get all this information at MainStreetVegan.net. You can just check Cruise or, or you can check Academy. That's where we train our vegan lifestyle coaches. So we've got all kinds of stuff going on. And today, oh, I'm so excited. So let me give you a little bit of background about Carol J. Adams. I just love all my guests. And it's very interesting to look at how many people listen after the fact to which shows. And I see that people who are kind of well-known in the world or in in the vegan movement, a lot of people want to listen to. And some of my favorite guests are people who haven't been around a long time, who don't have a great following. And today I'm doing the great following thing. Carol J. Adams is an eco-feminist. And if you don't know what that means, I didn't know what it meant till I met her. Ecofeminine connects the exploitation and domination of women with that of the environment and argues that there is a connection between women and nature. Ecofeminists believe that this connection is illustrated through the traditionally female values of reciprocity, nurturing, and cooperation which are present among women and in nature. And we know, of course, that men also have a feminine side. Men certainly can do reciprocity, nurturing, and cooperation. And you know what? In my experience, the men who are best at that are the ones who are also open to looking at veganism. How interesting. Everything is indeed connected. And so that we will have the most time possible with Carol J. Adams when she comes on with us. I'm going to give her introduction right now. Carol is an American writer, feminist, and animal rights advocate, the author of several books, including The Sexual Politics of Meat, The Pornography of Meat, Living Among Meat Eaters, and she focuses on what she argues are the links between the oppression of women and that of non-human animals. She's also published over 100 articles in journals, books, magazines, encyclopedias on vegetarianism, animal rights, 
domestic violence, and she has a master's in divinity from Yale Divinity School. Sometimes when I I describe Carol, I always think, oh, she's going to come from Glastonbury and and be like some kind of ancient Wiccan priestess. Well, that's cool, but she's a Presbyterian. I love how we have all of these wonderful parts to ourselves. And it's just a joy to be able to introduce these people to you. And I'm going to be doing that in a very short time. So please just sit tight through these announcements. And when we come back, I will be joined by the one and only Carol J. Adams. You can call in with your questions and comments, 888-558-6489. And that's whether you're a guy or a gal or an eco or a vegan or just veg curious and checking all this out. I'm curious about practically everything. Isn't that what keeps life interesting? Stay with us. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. This programming is made possible through the generous love offerings of listeners like you. If you feel spiritually fed by this programming, we invite you to contribute. Go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet? And be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. Somewhere. Tucked away in the Unity Library archives in Unity Village, Missouri, you can find a secret treasure. They are the scripts from Unity co-founder Charles Fillmore's early days on broadcast radio. The teachings of Unity's founders, almost a hundred years old. Now, for the first time in history, you can hear them through the power of the Internet. Join Bob Brock every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, for Unity Classic Radio. Words from our past. Discover the wisdom of Charles Fillmore's talks and of other Unity Radio speakers read on the air again. Call in your comments and questions as Bob and his special guests revisit Unity Radio talks of the past, along with historical background from the early days of the Unity movement. That's Unity Classic Radio. Words from our past. Every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on Unity FM. The voice of an awakening world. You're listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. 
Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan. I'm your host, Victoria Moran, and I am so happy to be on with Carol J. Adams. She's author of The Sexual Politics of Meat. She's co-author of the brand new Never Too Late to Go Vegan with two of my other favorite people, uh, Virginia Messina, RD, who's been on the show a couple of times. She was on not long ago with her book, Vegan for Her. This woman is so prolific. My gosh, she can write books more quickly than I can read books. And then uh, Patty Brightman also is a co-author of this book, and she will actually come on the show in two weeks and give her take on Never Too Late to Go Vegan. But I'm so happy today to be talking with Carol J. Adams during the break after she had heard me make my little allusion to Glastonbury of the Arthurian legends and fairy lore and all that. She said, I was just in England and I saw Glastonbury from a distance. I love Glastonbury. It just feels so mystical. And there's this giant formation there called the tour that has all this mystical history to it and one of the greatest days of my life was climbing the glastonbury tour but that same week another of the greatest days of my life and i'm really really not exaggerating was in london with carol adams and we went to the british museum and we were in this amazing round room full of books where when there was some manuscript you wanted, you ordered it, and this lovely person would bring it on a tray. That was just perfect. Is your life that amazing all the time? <laughs> Those were the days. I'll tell you, the, that, was, that is an incredible reading room. We know Virginia Woolf read there. That's almost why I wanted to go there. Um, I feel very lucky at this point after spending many, many years sort of in isolation as an activist trying to write sexual politics of meat back in the 80s. Um, once it appeared, I've, my world got a lot bigger. I learned that besides being a writer, once a book comes out, as an author, you have people who read you and then they interact with you and they send you images and they have ideas and your, your world just widens. So, my trip to England last week was an example of that, where I get to meet students who've read my work and and see old friends. And a friend of mine, Hilda Keane, took me on a tour of part of London to show me the animal-related historical aspects, a, a horse hospital, for instance. And, of course, when I was walking by the British Museum, I remembered us sitting outside and drinking our soy hot chocolates um, that that time that we both happened to be in London. Uh, with veganism growing, then it means that we have this opportunity to meet such remarkable people who who get it and, and want to help interpret and, and spread the word. So I just feel very lucky. Oh, but I don't get are... every day in the British Museum. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, it is a wonderful life. I was just interviewed for the Kansas City Star, this coming Sunday, they're going to do a big retrospective about the 50th anniversary of the Beatles coming to America. And that was February when they were on the Ed Sullivan Show, and then later they, they came to tour, and they weren't supposed to come to Kansas City, but at the last minute, this wealthy uh, baseball team owner brought them to town. I got to go to the press conference. I was 14. It was just unheard of and amazing. And so when this man was talking to me about all the stuff that happened so long ago, I I knew that that was the beginning of knowing that writing was going to be the ticket. It was just going to change my life. And about a week and a half ago, I was sitting in a Starbucks here in New York City, and this young woman came up to me and said, are are you the one who wrote that book? And I said, probably. Well, come to find out, (laughs) she, she started reading my spiritual books, and then she herself, being vegan, started reading my vegan books, and we went to lunch yesterday. And now I have a new friend. I have a new 27-year-old friend. This is one of the great things, too. There is just no ageism in literature or veganism. Right. And you have written this incredible book now with my two other favorite wonderful women, Never Too Late to Go Vegan. Tell us a little about that. Well, while you said there's no ageism to veganism, I think what we probably mean is that veganism is good for you no matter what your age is. 
but it almost seemed that sometimes the vegan literature and, and the way vegans were presented in the popular culture was all that it was a young person's movement or it was something that young people did. And uh, Ginny and Patty and I realized there were a lot of issues for people as they age. First of all, it's really great for you to be a vegan. It's, it's, it's good for your health. Um, but we also wanted to appeal that as people age and make decisions about what's the legacy I want for my life, that having a smaller footprint, spreading compassion, engaging with issues that are difficult, these are things that as we age we might be slightly more comfortable with. I'm not saying, um, maybe there's another way to say that, that as we age, we are going to have experienced grief in our lives. And I think that one thing that happens about animals used in the production of food, of meat, dairy, is that people don't want to hear the facts because they're afraid they're going to feel grief. And our culture doesn't honor grieving very well. You get three days off if somebody close dies and then come back to work. We, we don't have a good model for the, the intense physical, emotional reactions that we have to grief and sadness. And one of the things we wanted to say in Never Too Late is, by the time you're 50 or 60 or 70, you've probably experienced grief in your life and you know that you can survive it. So don't be afraid of learning about what's happening to animals because you can survive that and you can do something about it. Um, So it was sort of once we started saying, okay, what does it mean when you're over 50 and you become a vegan or you want to stay a healthy vegan? What are the health issues or what become the relationship issues? And one of the other things that I think is unique to the book is that we have a chapter on veganism and caregiving because this is a concern often as you age and your, your parents or your other relatives age that you become a caregiver and how does a vegan uh, handle that responsibility and, and not um, sort of get really discouraged <laughs> either you know, in keeping their veganism or just get overwhelmed. And one of the things I found as a caregiver for many, many years um, was that my veganism gave me joy. And no matter what I did not accomplish for myself in a day, I knew I was doing something just by having my vegan meals. It's hard as a caretaker when the person for whom you're caring wants to eat foods that you find sad uh, yes, it's very hard, but within the co- every everything has a context. And one of the interesting things here in Dallas, there's a a Viet tofu place that you can go and buy tofu that's uh, already prepared, fried or baked, and all this. And I had bought a whole bunch of that, and we had a we had brought in someone because I had to be gone while an elderly relative was here. And when I got back, they said she really liked that chicken. Oh, and, I funny. Her and I thought, what? And she said, yeah, she really liked that chicken. And I said, I, I don't have any chicken in the refrigerator. And I looked and, and it had been the tofu from Viet Tofu. So I loved that. <laughs> That's great. That's wonderful. I know I took care of, of my, well, I call her my grandmother. She wasn't a biological relative, but she raised me for the most part, and she was certainly my first spiritual teacher. And when she was very old, I was vegetarian. I wasn't completely vegan yet. And so even with her, I mean, it just had to be mostly vegetarian because I just couldn't handle like meat, meat. But she wanted some things. And so I, I would get her like chicken pot pies frozen. Nowadays, we have Amy's. They're vegan she wouldn't have known the difference but then we didn't and of all things she liked sardines and i was able to take that little key and open open the can and 
after she died, I actually wrote about this in one of my books, and I said she told me this when she was very old, but that wasn't really true. This is what really happened. I was in London, and Muriel the Lady Doubting, some people know the history because she was one of the founders of Beauty Without Cruelty, and she and her husband were also spiritualists, and they got me hooked up with this famous medium named uh, Ina Twig, and in a twig comes, you know, and she says, you know, this is Didi, and, 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 and Didi said, and she's saying to me that, that it's, it's good that you're vegetarian and you, you should be vegetarian, but she really appreciates that you got her. And then it was like she was just listening, like something coming through very, very strangely. She said, the chicken pot pies and the sardines. I don't know what to make of that. Except, you know, it's my history. I'm glad there are no chicken pot pies or sardines in my apartment today. But I'm also glad to Dee Dee, wherever she is, has some good memories. So you were, so when you collaborate on a book the way that you and Ginny and Patty did on Never Too Late to Go Vegan, how does that work? Well, um, this, first of all, I've, I've written another book with Patty, How to Eat Like a Vegetarian, Even If You Never Want to Be One. Great and, book. Um, in fact, I have never in person met Ginny. And Ginny helped me um, with the nutrition chapter in Help My Child Stop Eating Meat. And so um, one thing about all, all three of us is we take deadlines seriously. We write fast. And... We really, really enjoyed working with each other. We each brought strengths to this. And um, in general, Ginny uh, uh, was going to write this, the, the material on nutrition because she's a registered dietitian. This is her skill, her strength. And she um, has three remarkable chapters that talk about what aging is and that aging is plastic, that some things that people associate with aging aren't really caused by aging. They could be caused by your diet or your lack of exercise. And then she talks about foods that are really good for you as you age, and, of course, many of those are vegan foods, or most of those are vegan foods. And then the diseases that are related that you might be able to um, control or not get because uh, you've changed your diet. The interesting thing I learned from Ginny was even our eyes and our skin and our hair is influenced by what we eat and that a vegan diet can really help uh, skin, hair, eyes, as well as the things that we associate uh, veganism being very positive for. Uh, We had a lot of fun. We laughed as we talked. We uh, Patty and I would, would work on chapters together or we would write something separately and then send it around. So it really depended upon which part. Um, we did the how to veganize chapter all together. We all brainstormed. And it was a lovely collaboration. Um, it's just. And it's a lovely you, book. Yeah. Thank you. And I think it's stronger because all, it, took, it really took three of us to do it. And as we say, combined, we have 75 years of experience as, as vegans. So we've combined that experience to try to bring wisdom and, and encouragement. And, and the subtitle talks about um, the Over 50 Guide to Adopting and Thriving on a Plant-Based Diet. Because we felt that there are some books that tell you why you should be vegan or how to become a vegan, but we really wanted people to continue as a vegan, to to feel happy and not not feel that veganism was problematic. And we also wanted to talk to people who've been vegans 10, 20 years at this point, and they themselves are now over 50. They might have become vegans in their 30s, but now they're over 50. What are their nutritional needs at this point? Have they changed? How, what are the issues for osteoporosis for vegans? Because that's often been associated with meat eaters. So we really tried to create a book that spoke to a spectrum of people who Wherever they or wherever they were in the spectrum of engaging with veganism, that we we offered them something. 
Well, you've done a beautiful job, as certainly you have with with all your books. I mean, honestly, there's nothing that you can touch that doesn't turn out to be superb. So congratulations on another triumph. I wanted to ask you about one of your earlier books, Carol, and that is about living with meat eaters. I had a lot of people write to me when it was announced that you were going to be on the show saying that that book was so helpful to them. One woman said, it saved my marriage. So tell us about that. <laughs> well, you know, I, I get letters still from people who say they read it once a year. And uh, what I would say is that I did it wrong for like the first 18 years of being vegetarian. And so I learned from my mistakes and I plowed that all into living among meat eaters. And basically what I decided was that vegans should look at meat eaters and and non-vegans as blocked vegetarians, blocked vegans. And that what this means is whenever we're in an interaction or a conversation with someone, they want to make it about us. Why did we change? What, 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 you know, suddenly we're responsible for um, everything under the sun that they could possibly think of, plant suffering or food deserts. And so I realized that they're doing that because we've made them uneasy. We've made them realize that they could be vegans too and that they're relating to us in a way to keep themselves blocked. Now, are they really blocked vegetarians? It doesn't matter. As long as we look at them as blocked vegetarians, then everything they're doing is telling us why they're blocked. When they become defensive or angry or say we're depriving them, then they're, then they're telling us we're anxious about what we eat. Um, so once you change your stance and realize I don't need to go to them, I need to stand still, I've already changed, I want to be inviting them to come to me, it changes how we have conversations and how we um, deal with food issues. So, for instance, one of the things I say in Living Among Meat Eaters is people are perfectly happy eating vegan food as long as they do not know that's what they're doing. Like the and tofu that your relative thought was chicken. That's right. They're perfectly happy. They just don't want to feel like you've deprived them. That, and I think there's something about sort of ego going on there and self-determination. You're not going to tell me what I can eat. You're not going to deprive me. Well, as long as they don't think we've done something different, we've offered them a great lasagna. We've offered them a moussaka. We've offered them, you know, a, a wonderful a chocolate cream pie. My, my partner's a minister. For 20 years in Dallas, I've been taking this tofu chocolate pie to their annual picnic. And this Sunday, I finally told some people, I said, all those years, you all thought you were eating a chocolate cream pie, and that was tofu. Um, so first, first make people be at ease. And then we can have conversations. But the other thing I say in Living Among Meat Eaters is we don't always have to debate this. It's not we, – we come to believe in our culture that it's what we talk about and what we debate that really matters. And I really think that when it comes to veganism, allowing people to incubate, allowing both sides of the brain to interact act with information, allowing people to feel safe with their emotions, back to the whole issue of grief, all of those are complex things that we lose when we're simply arguing back and forth. So I just encourage people that we don't have to debate. Oh, I guess the third area that I thought I probably is very helpful is I said that people should recognize that there are some people who are simply saboteurs. They want to sabotage you. And the fact is that the people who spend a lot of time trying to sabotage you, they are probably the closest to becoming a vegan because they're studying you so closely so that they could sabotage you, that they're learning a lot of information. So um, basically, my advice is always be prepared with some vegan food for yourself. Uh, people are very worried that veganism is about denial and about suffering and about not getting good food. And they then want to create the situation in which they see you 
not having good food because that confirms to them that it's not easy. And so then they think, well, I'm not happy, uh, but neither's Carol because, look, all she's got is a cob lettuce sandwich, you know, salad. And so my feeling is wherever we go, whatever the question we're being asked, the real issue is are we at peace? Because if we're at peace, maybe they can be. But they then want to create the environment in which we are not at peace. Take us to a lobster uh, restaurant. Um, you know, promise us a vegan uh, dessert and then put eggs in it. So they don't want to believe you can be at peace and be a vegan. So no matter what we're offered, if we're at peace with ourselves and know that it's not about what they think it is, but just about the abundance of having embraced a way of living that's trying to reduce our footprint. Then we're sort of freed into this new way of relating to everybody. I love that. And you can increase your peace by meditation and inner reflection and also by having some good dark chocolate in your bag so that if they put eggs in the dessert, you still get something. We'll be back after these announcements with the inimitable Carol J. Adams, her brand new book, Never Too Late to Go Vegan, because you know what? It never is. Stay with us. In his new book, What If Godzilla Just Wanted a Hug?, Daryl Fuzaro emphasizes the positive effects of applying unity principles in everyday situations. Laura Harvey, editor of Daily Word magazine, explains Daryl Fuzaro shares his life lessons with inspiring creativity. This book is encouraging, funny, and heartwarming, a combination I highly recommend. As co-host of Unity Online Radio's Funniest Thing with Daryl and Ed, Daryl's old-school charm and no-nonsense approach to spirituality keep a global audience laughing and inspired. What if Godzilla just wanted a hug? Is loaded with Daryl's hilarious, award-winning illustrations and packs his wit and wisdom into easy-to-digest, bite-sized stories of how he transforms chaos into tranquility and succeeds in the entertainment business by doing the opposite of everyone else. What if Godzilla just wanted a hug is a pocket Bible encouraging the talented and timid to trust their gut, act on their intuition, and step out boldly. Even if you just bought it for the chapter titles and Daryl Fuzaro's illustrations alone, you'd be getting more than your money's worth with this book. Author and film critic Sister Rose Bukati says, Spending time with Fuzaro's stories will leave you no choice but to smile and carry on. Oh, he forgot to mention he hangs out with a group of nuns, but then, if he had, it would have necessitated a change to some of his more colorful adjectives. Have fun ordering your copy of What If Godzilla Just Wanted a Hug today on Amazon.com. God is formless, yet takes many forms. What goes around comes around. Chant the name of the Lord and be free. No one comes to the Father except through me. Ever been confused by the variety and apparent contradiction within world religions? Join Reverend Paul John Roach every Tuesday for insight into those principles held in common by all the great religious traditions in world spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions. Using discussions, interviews, humor, insight, and practice, Practical advice, we will clarify the confusion and reveal simple yet profound truths. Call in with your questions and ideas and help break down the barriers that separate us from one another. That's World Spirituality with Paul John Roach, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for Main Street Vegan. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan. So happy to have you with us today in this fascinating conversation with Carol J. Adams. Carol J. Adams is really smart. 
And sometimes it is just such a pleasure to speak with someone who has a great big brain and can uh, get it down into easily understandable conversation for the rest of us. That's very cool. One of the things we were talking about during the break is the multifacetedness of interesting people. I believe that there is a myth in the world that if somebody is vegan, that's just what they are. They're obsessed with with food and, and preparing food. They're maybe obsessed with their health and working out all the time, or they're just so depressed 23 hours a day because of the state of, of animal cruelty. And yet I look at Carol J. Adams, wonderful, committed vegan, but you've also written a book about how to make a board game from your favorite children's books. And you've written another book called The Bedside Bathtubs and Armchair Companion to Frankenstein. So you have other interests besides <laughs> tofu and well, animal th- rights marches. I, I think that people come up with that myth about vegans because when they meet a vegan, they want to monopolize the conversation to prove why the vegan's wrong or whatever, back to living among meat eaters. So again, they're creating the context in which they experience vegans, and then they keep it very narrow um, so that from their lens, they think that's all we're talking about because that's all they've talked to us about, trying to defend their meat eating. But from sexual politics of meat, I mean, from the time I was a child on, I loved reading and literature has always been very important to me. In fact, The Sexual Politics of Meat has two chapters that really are talking about what I see, what I find in novels, feminism and vegetarianism. And I'll just tell you a a quick little story. Back in the 80s when I was working on this, we were protesting uh, Reagan and and what was happening in um, Central America. And it was just before Thanksgiving, and everybody went around, and you know, we had this great protest in, in upstate New York. And at the end, I just said, well, well think about what you're doing this Thursday um, on, on Thanksgiving. Who, who's, who's the victim of violence on this day? And everybody looked at me, and they were just so shocked. And how did I dare bring in a turkey when we were talking about human rights violations and uh, all that? So... Then I started working on one of the chapters in Sexual Politics of Meat, which is about all the feminist, pacifist vegetarians during the Great War, World War I. And I realized that while I, nobody wanted to hear me say, is there possibly a connection between violence against people in Central America and what we're doing to a turkey? When I stepped back another degree and said, isn't this interesting, all these women novelists of the early 20th century said there was a connection between what we were doing to animals and what we're doing to humans in war. And suddenly I, I found that one can find one's voice through interpretation as well as through sort of political argument. And in Sexual Politics of Meat, there's a whole chapter on why Frankenstein's monster was a vegetarian. And I probably read everything under the sun about Frankenstein to write that chapter because there is not much of a reference in the novel to the vegetarianism, though it's vegetarian ideas are sort of threaded throughout, or that's what I argue. As a result, I've, I think literature is always something more than a book to me. It it awakens or quickens my mind, and I interact with that. And my next book is going to be a, about a memoir of reading Jane Austen. So um, it it's, gives me joy. And I think we need to always balance our political activism with joy. We need to always be aware that whatever depletes us and, and uses up, you know, the water in our pitcher, our, our, our soul work, that pitcher needs to be refilled with something. And for me, it's, it's reading. Ah, even when you're not in a round room and the book comes on a tray. <laughs> <laughs> True. Uh, that, 
That is that is so nice. Carol, you are one of the few people that I know who has written more books than me. So you must not have, I guess I think of it as right fright. You know, a lot of people get stage fright and they don't want to appear before lots of people. I love that. That's my favorite state of being. But I do have right fright, like, oh, my gosh, I have to start a book and it has to be so good. It's hard to start. And I'm in that position right now. I am writing, working on my new book, The Good Karma Diet. But, oh, my gosh, it's hard to start and it's hard to start a chapter. Do you relate to any of that or do you just write for the (laughs) blessed pleasure of it? Well, um. I, it's a complicated answer, so let me take a couple minutes to to answer that. I, at, I'm a very driven writer, and ever since I had the idea for the sexual politics of me way back in '74, my first struggle was to find out what I had to say and then how to say it, and that took 15 years. So by the time I was done with that, I'd learned a lot about myself, and I learned that thinking that there's never a good time to write is probably wrong. That you you just sit down and, and sort of make an appointment with your mind and the mind comes forward to it. I read a great book about writing from the 1930s and this writer said, write first time, thing in the morning because that's when you're closest to your subconscious. And I can tell you, at least two of my books have erupted first thing in the morning as I'm writing, suddenly I have an idea and I, 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 I mean, that's where the inner art of vegetarianism came from. It, I had been struggling with living among meat eaters and I was trying to figure out why am I not getting it written and suddenly I realized I was trying to write two books and once inner art of vegetarianism just split apart and, and I mean the whole outline appeared to me within half an hour, I could get both books written very quickly. Since 1996, I have kept a journal and this, my requirement to myself is that when I get up, I write three pages every morning. And I can't stop till I've written the three pages. And when I'm done, I write five things I'm thankful for because I want to remember what I'm thankful for because there are days that you can feel sort of overwhelmed. And then I write something that's sort of a symbol, like last week when I was in England, maybe it was the British Museum, um, or a, a symbol of a, a beautiful meal or a sunset. It's just something to remind me of that day. And that has helped me write faster and clearer. Just having done that, I now have like 180 journals. So having done that for 18 years now, I trust myself to, as a fast writer. I used to give writing workshops at the North American Vegetarian Society Summerfest, and at that I would say writing is like bread baking. And the struggle for a new writer often is the first draft. But if you think of the first draft as being like the first rise of bread, no one's ever going to see that. The whole point of a first rise of bread is that it's got to get big so that you can reduce it. So it could be that what you're struggling over, your first chapter, may not even exist that way in a second draft. So the role of that chapter is to get you to where you're going. And once you develop that attitude and sort of make sure that I feel like there's two people. There's Carol Adams, the writer, and Carol Adams, the author. So what I do is I say, the Carol Adams, the writer, says to the author, look, nothing's going to get out the door without your approval, but I don't need you right now. You know, don't worry. Everything's going to be clear and precise by the time we get to where the book needs to be to be published. But right now I just need to find out what I have to say, and, and this is messy. So I've got to take my time. Um, but I'm usually always working on two books at the same time because my mind is sort of restless. And so last year, while I was working on Never Too Late with Patty and Ginny, I was also co-editing an anthology on ecofeminism. And um, so that's kind of fun for me to, to be balancing uh, those, two, those two things. Oh, so I wanted to say one other thing. So the idea is that you write first thing in the morning to tap into the subconscious. And then from this book in the 30s, you make an appointment with yourself. Say it's at 4 o'clock today, right when this radio program ends, that you're going to write. 
then what you have to do is you have to sit down and write and not allow there to be any excuse because you're training, you're training your subconscious to come when you call. And so when I was trying to finish Inner Art of Vegetarianism, I had the afterword to do. And I had known about this story of, of Mr. Rogers going to see Coco uh, and how uh, Coco had watched Mr. Rogers every day. And when Mr. Rogers arrived, Coco hugged Mr. Rogers and then had Mr. Rogers sit down and took Mr. Rogers' sneakers off. Oh, wow. And, you're talking Coco the chimp who could speak sign right. language? Yes. But that but that Coco was so involved in Mr. Rogers that that he knew that Mr. Rogers' ritual was to take off the shoes. And I sat there and I knew I wanted to use it, so I started typing it up and suddenly how to handle that just came because I had followed the discipline of believing that that if I sit and write, it will become clear. If Flannery O'Connor said, well, I don't know when lightning's going to strike, but if it strikes between 9 and 12, which is when she wrote, I'll be there. And so yeah. what we do is we create the conditions for lightning to strike. And, and I, I, I could go grab that. But what I did with this story was to use it about the need for rituals in our lives, the rituals of preparing beautiful food or of keeping a journal or of practicing yoga, that we do it over and over again, and then someday a chimp will take off our shoes. Mm-hmm. You know, because we've done it every day, we are providing a platform for our future selves to thrive. So that's Carol- a long answer about writing. Well, it's no wonder that you're a great writer. You speak like poetry, and I completely agree with you. I did some writer's block breaking years ago with a wonderful, wonderful coach named Gerald Mundus. It's J-E-R-R-O-L-D-M-U-N-D-I-S. I believe his site is called unblock.org. And I remember that he said just what you said, that it has to be first thing in the morning. Now, that's easy for me because I'm a morning person. I know some people say I don't get inspired till the middle of the night. I I don't know what's going on there. It's not me. He said, if you have to eat or you would be hypoglycemic, then you get to eat. And if you are a person who has a morning spiritual practice, you can do that. You can't do anything else. You can't go to the gym. You can't read the paper. You can't have a discussion with your spouse. You have to write while your your brain is still fresh and, and clean and, and the muse has a chance of getting through. So I love it when these uh, wise ideas come from many sources. So when we were first starting, we talked about this, this big phrase, echo feminism, and you had said that you wanted to just riff on that a bit more. Would you like well, to do that now? Yes. So echo feminism, and we've, we, I do have a book coming out in, in July, which will be a lot of new essays uh, within the field of echo feminism. Echo feminism sort of positions itself to say we can't understand the environmental crisis unless we have a feminist perspective. And to feminism, it says we can't understand feminism unless we have an environmental perspective. And someone like me writing about animals, I I then position myself and say an eco-feminism has to recognize that animals are part of this world that we're trying to describe. Because at first it seemed that eco-feminists were talking about the environment but never noticing the individual animals. So some of the work that I did in, in the 90s, especially this book, Woman and Animals, Women and Animals, Feminist Theoretical Explorations, was trying to, to say, well, let's look at these individual animals. Let's look at these issues. So ecofeminism uh, also, in a sense, has a methodology. You were talking about emotions and, and all. And that, that methodology is care theory or, or uh, affect. It's the idea that... Um, say, in animal rights, we hear a lot about Peter Singer and utilitarianism or Tom Reagan and deontological rights theory. But there is a whole third strain that it's so important to be acknowledged historically and to be discussed 
practically, and that is that we care for the other, that many, many people become vegans because they care. And so ecofeminist theory provides a sort of philosophical context for understanding care as being as legitimate a reason for being involved in animal issues and becoming a vegan as these more male-identified um, philosophical positions. And you do it beautifully. The website is caroljadams.com, latest book, Never Too Late to Go Vegan. 30 seconds. You are a vegan Presbyterian in Texas. How's that going? <laughs> Every year it's greater because there's now a Dallas vegan group. There's lots of vegan stuff happening. Uh, of course, it's happening in all, all over, and having lived in Dallas, it really gave me great material for living among meat eaters. Uh, I'd like to also mention that we have a, a website, a new, brand new website for never too late to go vegan.com, and that'll have dates of, of uh, book signings and talks by Ginny, Patty, or I. And Victoria, it is just a wonderful pleasure to have this time with you. I'm always impressed by everything you do, and Main Street Vegan is a great gift. Oh, bless your heart. Well, we will have to meet again in a round room or elsewhere. Thank you so, so much. The website's caroljadams.com and nevertoolatetogovegan.com. And we'll be talking more about that in a couple of weeks with Patty Brightman. So be sure and watch the schedule for more Main Street Vegan podcasts. We love having you. And everybody out there, God bless you and eat your veggies. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. Somewhere, tucked away in the Unity Library archives in Unity Village, Missouri, you can find a secret treasure. They are the scripts from Unity co-founder Charles Fillmore's early days on broadcast radio. The teachings of Unity's founders, almost a hundred years old. Now, for the first time in history, you can hear them through the power of the Internet. Join Bob Brock every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, For Unity Classic Radio, words from our past. Discover the wisdom of Charles Fillmore's talks and of other Unity Radio speakers read on the air again. Call in your comments and questions as Bob and his special guests revisit Unity Radio talks of the past, along with historical background from the early days of the Unity movement. That's Unity Classic Radio, words from our past, every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, Right here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. Inspiration only takes a moment. We invite you to focus your attention inward with these words from Elizabeth Searle Lamb. This is a new day. Lead your conscious mind to that still haven of your soul where your indwelling Christ opens wide the doorway of your heart. At once, mind, soul, and body, you are flooded with the light and love of God. You are lifted high above this earthly plane and filled with the radiance of spirit. Send this love and light on to those whom you hold dear so that it may uplift, heal, and comfort them. As you send this radiance on, you are filled with a new sense of God's power, and you release this power to the whole world to uplift, guide, and bless all people. A day's tasks await you, but God is with you, and with God's help, all shall be done perfectly. 
This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. If I were brave, I'd walk the razor's edge Where fools and dreamers dare to tread And never lose faith How is life working for you? Would it be okay with you if life got easier, simpler, yet more meaningful and vibrant? Join certified life coach Carla McClellan Tuesday afternoons for Vibrant Living. Each week, Coach Carla and her guests will share strategies and solutions designed to make your life more vibrant. Is there something in your life you'd like help with? A dream you'd like to achieve? A relationship you'd like to improve? Call into the show toll-free for Coaching with Carla. That's Vibrant Living, Life Coaching with Carla, Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Central on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. What if we're all meant to do what we secretly dream? Pop culture is defined by the Oxford Dictionary as modern popular culture transmitted via mass media and aimed particularly at younger people. But can it be meaningful? Spiritual even? The hosts of Pop Conscious think it can be, and that it can be fun to explore, too. Milena Dawn, Stacey Macris Ross, and Scott Pomeroy will be your amateur cultural anthropologists examining pop culture and spirituality every Monday at 2 p.m. Central on Pop Conscious on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. We talk to the animals and we know you can too. On the Animal Communication Podcast hosted by the three of us, myself, Julie Heert, Aaron Debbie Smith, and Meredith Tolleson. We will show you how to deepen your relationship with your beloved animal companions, whether they're alive or in spirit. As soul-level animal communicators, we explain the process and explore topics such as health, behavior, and play, all from the animal's perspective. So subscribe and follow us on Apple, Spotify, and listen as part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.